Why should it be said among the people, where is their God? Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. By next week, I want each of you to have your funeral bulletin and your funeral sermon written for examination. So said my facilitator. In a room with about 12 people, we were in the middle of this thing called CPE, Clinical Pastoral Education. It's what every United Methodist pastor has to do. It takes shape in many ways, but for me, it meant a year of serving as one of the on-call chaplains at Duke University Hospital in Durham, North Carolina. And you might not know this, but Duke University Hospital has more deaths annually than any hospital on the East Coast. It's where a lot of people go as a last resort. So for me, I had to serve a number of 24-hour on-call shifts. I would arrive at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I wasn't allowed to leave the premises until 8 o'clock the next day. I had three beepers that I would wear in my belt. I had to be present for every single death that occurred during my 24-hour cycle. And while we were doing this, on Mondays, we would gather with a small group. And we would process our own grief in the midst of seeing strangers die and try to learn what it meant to uh, eventually serve people like you one day. And so it was on a Monday afternoon that we were sitting around the table and our facilitator said, I want each of you to have your funeral sermon and your bulletin figured out by next week. And me being me, I raised my hand and I said, "Uh, Jim, for whom are we writing these funeral bulletins and funeral sermons? And he said... For yourselves, of course. So, for the next week, each of us spent time working on our own funeral bulletin and our funeral sermon. And to be completely honest, it was the worst assignment that I had in three years of seminary. At first, it was kind of fun to open up the hymnal and to think, oh, what are my favorite hymns? What songs will the people sing when I'm gone? But the problem was, as I started to look through the lyrics and think about the melodies in my head, I stopped thinking about the hymns, and all I could imagine were the people who might be sitting in the pews. Who would be there for my funeral? Would it be a packed sanctuary? Would it be empty? Would Lindsay be old? Would she be young? Would she still be alive? Would Elijah be there? Are there other kids? I started wondering about all these external factors. So then I started to look at the scripture. What scriptures are we going to read? And that was fun, you know, to pull out my Bible and think about, oh, what scripture has meant the most to me in my life? But of course, the more I read, the more I thought about it, instead of thinking about the scripture, I imagined, who's going to preach? What are they going to say? Has my life even been worthy of theological reflection? So the next Monday, we all gathered in that same room and we prepared to go one by one sharing our hypothetical funeral bulletin and funeral sermon with one another. Uh, And before I got a chance, thankfully, one of my friends, she raised her hand and she said, Jim, I want you to know this was the worst assignment I've ever had. I can't believe you would make us do this. It was miserable. I think it's kind of unchristian. I want to know where you come off having us work on something like this. He thought about it for a moment. 
And he said, why in the world do we get together on Ash Wednesday every year if not to think about our own funerals? If we do what we are here to do tonight right, we will be blessed. We will be blessed because we will get a taste of what the church is really all about. Because here in this service, in this time set apart, we will take upon the sins of the world, not by dying on a cross like Jesus, but by confessing how we've fallen short. Not just for ourselves, but for the whole world. We are here to do the thing that we should do every day, but frankly, we often fail to do it until we get a little too close to death for comfort. You know, because it's while we wrestle with our own mortality that we catch a glimpse of who we really are, and we wonder about what we could become if we only have a little more time. In the end, only God knows the degree to which we have all participated in or encouraged or allowed some great evil to exist in the world. And it is for that reason that God sent His Son to be crucified, to be killed, It is God's judgment laid upon us that God took away from us in Jesus. And that is the strange mystery of Ash Wednesday. It's why people like us gather and fill a room when someone we know has died. We, like the prophet Joel says, have been gathered together for a solemn assembly to be sanctified, to weep if necessary, to call upon the Lord to spare us, knowing what God did in Christ Jesus. This is the day. It's the one day a year when we can finally admit that we deserved and still deserve to be judged for what we've done and what we've left undone, while at the same time proclaiming God's faithfulness. It's the day that we show up to our own funerals. Ash Wednesday is a day, it's time set apart from the regular liturgy of the church. It doesn't happen on Sunday morning. It happens smack dab in the middle of the week. It is always the least attended worship service every year. And there's a good reason for that. Because no one wants to go to their own funeral. I mean, think about it, like I did. If we really admitted in our heart of hearts, if we had the opportunity to sit on a pew at our own funerals, I think most of us would say no. We don't want to confront the truth. Today, we don't want to confront the truth that no one makes it out of this life alive. Regardless of every commercial product that's promising to make you look and feel and act younger, the bell tolls for us all. I shared this a couple weeks ago that when Lindsay and I moved here to Woodbridge, we got cable television. It was very exciting for us. And I remember that first night I turned on the TV, and I don't even remember what we were watching, but after about seven minutes, I saw my first commercial in something like four years. I thought, oh gosh, I forgot how much I hated commercials. And then I realized something very strange. Every single commercial was about the body. Take this pill and those 10 pounds will disappear. Use this cream and those 10 years will disappear. Use this shampoo and your husband will look 10 years younger. (laughs) Everything about the world is telling us that you can live forever. But the the truth of this day 
is that no one makes it out of this life alive. Because even here, everything we're doing right now, it's in the presence of ashes. We're here in the presence of ashes, and they force us, they compel us to speak of death before death in a world where death is denied. Uh, Before I was appointed here, I served a church down in Stanton, Virginia, in the Shenandoah Valley. And one of the things I really loved about the church was that we had a preschool. It met in our basement, uh, and I love, I love children, I love interacting with kids, and so it was really fun for me to have that as part of the ministry of the church. And so from the very first day, I took it upon myself to stand at the entrance, to stand at the door every single morning and greet the children on their way in. I'm pretty good with names, and so it only took me like a week, but I knew every kid's name. I knew every parent's name. I knew every grandparent's name that dropped their kids off every morning. And pretty quickly, I learned every kid's favorite color, their favorite shape, what they were for Halloween last year, what they want to be for Halloween next year and the year after that and the year after that. I got to know these kids really well. And kind of in a strange way, I got to know their parents really well. Because four-year-olds, they don't know how to keep their mouths shut. And they tell people like me the things they're not supposed to say. They haven't learned what a filter is for yet. And so it was on a random morning. I think it was raining. I was standing by the door, welcoming all the kids. Henry, it's so good to see you. I'm so happy you're here. Charlie, we're going to have so much fun in preschool today. Rachel, oh, it's so good to see you. And Rachel ran past me down the hall, and her mother stayed by the door, and she gave me a look. It's that look when you look over your glasses at somebody. It's the look that says, we need to talk. I don't like getting that look. I'm always very nervous when I receive that look. Of course, I started running in my head, oh, what did I say in chapel time last week? Did I say something wrong? Did I spill the beans about something I wasn't supposed to say? But Rachel's mom looked at me and she said, I need a favor. I said, sure, what's, what's going on? What, what can I do? What can, how can I help? She said, um, my ex-husband, Rachel's dad, he died last night. He's been sick for a couple weeks, and he died, and I don't know how to tell Rachel. I need you to tell her that her daddy died. And she turned around and got in her car, and she left. All morning, I paced in my office on the other side of the building, frantically trying to figure out how in the world would I share the worst news possible with this young girl. I started looking up metaphors and analogies online to break it easy. I even thought about going to the local library to get a book for children on grief, but I ran out of time. I had to do something before the day ended. And so I went down into the basement, I went to her classroom, and I asked if she could come to the hallway with me. I sat down on the floor, crisscross applesauce, so we could look eye to eye. And I just didn't know what to say. And so for what felt like 10 minutes, but was probably only 10 seconds, I awkwardly looked into her eyes, and then she said, Pastor Taylor, did my daddy die? And I sort of just nodded and and said yes. And then she said, with wisdom and maturity far beyond her years, that's okay. That's okay. Grandma died. Our old neighbor died. 
You told me that even Jesus died. But you said that Jesus died so that we could all be together again one day, right? And I said, yeah, that's right, Rachel. That's right. Grief hits us in ways that we can't uh, anticipate. Uh, It can knock us down. It can make us silent. It can make us eat. Uh, It can make us not eat. It shows up in ways we can't imagine. But the truth is, everyone dies. There's no way around it. There's no pill, there's no product, there's no procedure that can stop it forever. No one makes it out of this life alive. And because that's true, we grieve. We weep and we wail. We raise our clenched fists in the sky and we say, Where are you, God, in this? And then we remember the theological wisdom of a four-year-old in the basement of a preschool. God has already answered that question. God answers in Jesus being born like us and dwelling among us. God answers in the ashes that will be smeared on our foreheads. God answers in a community of faith that can carry us through the grief that we can't handle on our own. God answers in scripture and in prayer and in songs. God answers in the truth that we'd rather avoid. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. But thanks be to God, dust isn't the end. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen.